What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. I'm your host, Calvin. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. I always appreciate it. Um, I want to let you guys know before I even get started on the podcast or anything, make sure to check me out on social media. You can find me on pretty much everywhere. You can find me on Instagram at Unquestionable Podcast, YouTube Unquestionable Podcast. I'm on Discord, which I'll make sure to put the link to that in the description of the podcast, wherever you're listening. Um, which is a good time to tell you guys also that I'm available on all streaming platforms and on YouTube. If you guys didn't know that yet, yes, there is a YouTube version of the podcast and you can come look at my beautiful bald head while you listen to my super soothing, uh, sexy voice, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, it's probably not that sexy, I guess, but what, what would I know? But anyways, yeah, you can follow, follow me on all social media platforms. Um, I am also on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at UWCS podcast. I have to say that slow, otherwise I'll trip over myself. So yeah, check me out pretty much everywhere and make sure to share the show with your friends and family. The more that you guys share the show, the more that the word gets out, the more listeners that I get, the better setup I can get, the better microphone, better camera. You guys, you guys listening really does help me out. And even if you aren't directly donating, which there is a donation link, which you can if you so please and so choose, you can donate to me directly, however much you would like. Um, and you can do that both through the anchor link that I have in the description of the podcast, or you can do that on my website. I actually have a link set up to where you can donate to me directly through my website, which is unquestionablewithcalvinsmith.wordpress.com. It's a pretty new website, and I do have to let you guys know it's a little, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, it's a little bit janky. But it's a work in progress. You know, it, I figured it was something that people could find me through a simple Google search. And at least it pulls me up. It pulls up uh, most of my episodes. Not the most recent one with Bridget is not on there yet. I'm still figuring out the whole website thing. But at least you guys can go there and find me. And what's really cool about the website is that you can actually sign up for email alerts so that every time a episode drops, you get an email that says, hey, Calvin dropped a new episode. Go check it out here. How freaking cool is that, right? I mean, why wouldn't you want to go sign up so that you guys get notified every single time? Anyways, that's all I kind of wanted to plug as far as social media and plugging myself and everything goes. But I did want to just touch on for a second before we even get into the schist disc and what exactly is the deal with the schist disc and why it's such a big deal. Okay, guys, I'm going to be real with you. Texas passed a law recently uh, within the past week or so, essentially banning abortions. It's not a 100% ban, to my knowledge. I could be wrong about that, but I, I believe it's a ban after a certain period of time that the woman has been pregnant. They are not allowed to get an abortion. Um, and, and you guys know, I'm sure you know if you've listened to any of my previous episodes or any of the podcasts I've been on recently, I'm atheist. And, and the abortion ban from Texas stems from uh, religious extremism is, is the only way that I can really put it. So I want to let you guys know that if you're pro-choice or whatever you are, if you're a woman in general, I support you. Um, I think that Everyone should be entitled to do whatever they want with their own body, whether it's man, woman, or uh, 
um, something in between. I, I, I feel like anyone should be entitled to do whatever they would like with their own body. And that comes from, you, you know, I just, that's just how I feel, I guess. I'm not going to get super into it. Um, I'm going to kind of cut it off there, but I will try to put some resources, if I can find anything worth putting in the description of the podcast, I'll put it in the description to where any woman or man who has questions or concerns about abortion, uh, abortion in Texas, or maybe they're in a situation where they may need or just want an abortion, uh, I'm going to link some of those resources in the description of the podcast if I can find any that are of use to you guys, especially to you in Texas. All my Texas listeners just know that I love you and I support you as long as you're pro-choice. <laughs> no, that's just me being a jerk. I love all you guys who are listening. But yeah, with that, guys, that's, that's all I kind of wanted to branch off about today. I'm not going to bore you with any of the podcasty type of stuff, but I do want to get into my subject for today. And the subject for today is going to be this really mysterious object. I'm going to go ahead and click share screen. Um, and we're going to look at the schist disc in Egypt, uh, or that was found in Egypt. Now, for those that are listening in podcast format, whether it be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, yada, yada, you're more than welcome to continue listening there. You listening on that platform is, I mean, all in all, it's what's paying the bills. <laughs> I mean, if I'm, I'm getting a whole, you know, whopping couple cents from you guys listening, but it's something. So you guys listening on that platform, please do continue to listen there. It really does help me out. And all the pictures that I'm going to be sharing here um, on the YouTube version are going to be available on all of my social media platforms so that if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, etc. You can just hop over to my Instagram page, for example, at Unquestionable Podcast, and look at those pictures with me. Anyways, <laughs> let's get into it. So I'm going to hit share screen here. We're going to go to our first picture. So with everything being said, this here, you guys are looking at the first picture of tonight's show. And this is the schist disc in Egypt. And I've heard about this thing for a number of years. I mean, you guys can look at this thing and it looks like, a, I mean, first glance, you look at this thing and it looks like a steering wheel. If I'm being completely honest, it looks like a steering wheel or maybe like a wheel to a ship or a propeller even, which remember that word propeller. I'm going to get into that way towards the end, but promise, just stick with me, stick with me. So yeah, this is the schist disc. And you can see that this thing is pretty weird looking. I mean, be honest, guys, have you ever seen anything like this come from ancient Egypt? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's news to me. And so, well, I was news to me. What I was going to say is about two years ago, two, three years ago, when I was first finding out about Brian Forrester and all of his work, Brian Forrester came out with a video where he mentions this schist disc. And I was like, what the heck is a schist disc? And he does this whole video on it, and the lack of information on this thing is startling. And we're going to get into the lack of information that is available on this schist disc, this very, very particular and rare object. There's nothing like this anywhere else, at least in Egypt that we know of, that relatively compares to this. 
we're going to get a little bit more into it, but just stick with me. So this thing is sometimes referred to as the disk of Sabu, and it's usually, um, you know, that's because it was found in the uh, the tomb of Sabu at Sakara. And actually, I have a little, for those who once again are just listening, I have a picture that I just pulled up here of the little plaque that is actually in front of the shift disc because it's actually displayed in the Cairo Museum. This plaque here that I'm looking at and that you that are watching the YouTube version, this plaque is in front of it. So I'm just going to read this plaque just so that you guys get an idea of what Egyptologists and the Cairo Museum have for an explanation of the schist disc. So I'm going to start, uh, I'm not going to read the top portion of it because that's, it's kind of cut off. So I'm just going to jump to the nearest one. So starting off with this plaque, it says, carved from a solid block of schist, a rock which splits in thin irregular plates, this remarkable dish possibly imitates a form originally made in metal. It was found in the tomb of Sabu at Saqqara and dates from 31 BC. Well, 3,000 to 3,100. I'm going to put a little correction in there. And uh, the next part says, a slate dish which reflects in its form and design a basket archetype. It is inscribed with the sign for quote-unquote gold and came from a step from the step pyramid of King Zoser. So yeah, that's pretty much Egyptologists um, kind of breakdown of what this thing was, where it was found. Now that's all good and dandy. It, they explain how this thing was found and where it was found. You know, great. Um, now, so this picture here, I'm sorry, I have to zoom in a little bit on it. For those who are listening, we're looking at a little tiny depiction of, I believe this is actually supposed to be Sabu here. Um, I'm sorry, this is, it's either supposed to be Sabu or Pharaoh Anijiba, who is actually Sabu's father and actually the fifth ruler of the first dynasty of ancient Egypt. And he's supposedly a very powerful ruler and his father, Anijiba's dad, father, <laughs> uh, Den was actually a very, very powerful pharaoh as well. I mean, who am I kidding? All the pharaohs are super powerful. You know, that's the thing is that I'm reading all this and oh, this super powerful pharaoh, this super powerful pharaoh, pharaoh, they're all powerful. They're all pharaohs. They all get to do whatever they want. So I don't know why we have to put this connotation that every single one was really powerful because I feel like it's kind of a given, but I added that in. Sorry, but yeah, so I believe that this is actually supposed to be um, Sabu here that's supposed to be depicted on this picture. Once again, I could be wrong and I do apologize. Now this here is a uh, hieroglyph that we're looking at here. Once again, those are listening, we're looking at a hieroglyph and this is a hieroglyph for Pharaoh Anijiba. Um, I couldn't really find any actual depictions of him, unless that last one was. I've honestly totally drawn a, a blank, a little brain fart. But anyways, as I was saying, the schist disc was actually found inside the tomb of, of Sabu. So yeah, Sabu, um, it's not exactly known why this thing was in the tomb of Sabu. Um, and the exact purpose of the schist disc is basically completely unknown. And we're going to get into what exactly Egyptologists and independent researchers are saying the use for the schist disc is. So let's kind of get into that a little bit. Um, I guess first things first is that here's, here's a little depiction of uh, Sabu's tomb. So we're looking at a picture of Sabu's tomb and it has a uh, exact measurements and everything here. I'm not going to get super into it. 
but in the top left corner is actually where Sabu was found. And to the right of him, actually, those who are watching, I'm actually circling around this. These are the little fragments directly next to Sabu's body is the fragments of the schist disc. It was actually broken up a little bit. There was actually one little flange of it that was completely broken off and I think it was actually missing. And so they actually 3D printed a new piece of it or they may have even sh shaped a new piece of it out of schist and attached it to the schist disc to kind of essentially repair it. Um, before we go on any further, a very cool thing about Sabu's tomb is that there actually were some of the amazing granite pots that were actually found inside of his tomb, the granite pots that literally could not have been made on a lathe spinning where, uh, you know, they're molding it like any other type of terracotta pottery. Granite can't do that. You can't do that. But those pots, some of them were actually found in Sabu's tomb. So that's a pretty interesting thing that I wasn't aware of. Now, we're looking at another picture of the schist disc. So once again, the schist disc was located um, in Sabu's tomb. It's now in the Cairo Museum in Egypt. But the thing is about the schist disc is last I heard, at least very recently uh, that I heard that the schist disc is all the way in the back of the museum. It looks pretty insignificant from where it's at. It's in a little tiny cabinet all by itself. I think there's a couple little tools and stuff in the cabinet, could be wrong. Um, but right here, we're actually looking at a picture of the schist disc in its little cabinet with the little plaque off into the corner there that says, you know, the one that I read earlier. Yeah, it's shoved all the way into the back of the museum. What's interesting about this is that when the Cairo Museum was going through some renovations, I believe last year, I think it was last year that they, that they completed the renovations on it and they added some new exhibits to it. As they were doing renovations to the Cairo Museum, they actually moved a lot of the things that were in the back of the museum to the front so that they could do some, you know, some legwork. And, um, excuse me, I'm gonna take a drink. Yeah, so this thing was sitting all the way in the back and now it's, it was pushed all the way to the front as uh, the renovations were going on. That brought a lot of attention to it. A lot of people were coming up to it saying, wow, this thing is, what is this? Why is this all the way in the back? You know, I've never seen this before. I've been here a couple times and, you know, it's new to me. And uh, enthusiasts like Johanna James, she's done a couple videos on um, the Cairo Museum. She has one specifically on the schist disc where even she states, wow, the schist disc is all the way at the front of the Cairo Museum. That's really crazy. Brian Forster says the same thing. All of these independent researchers are very interested in the schist disc, because I'm telling you guys, this thing is not found anywhere else in Egypt, let alone, I, I really couldn't find anything similar in shape to this uh, anywhere else in, in the world, at least to my knowledge. Now the schist disc measures approximately 61 centimeters in diameter, or that's 24 inches for those Americans out there who don't do the metric system. That's all right, I'm, I'm one of you. <laughs> it's also one centimeter thick and about 10.6 centimeters or 4.2 inches in the center. So when you look at this thing, what's really cool, and I actually didn't notice this until I started making this podcast and I actually started doing heavier research on it, is that this thing is not symmetrical. Okay. Initially, I thought that this thing was the schist disc was completely symmetrical all the way around exact measurements. But when you look at it specifically from above, which those who are watching, we're looking at just a artist depiction of it. 
um, from the top view and side view of it with a little bit of a measurement here, you can very obviously see that the center point is not in the exact center of the schist disc. These, you can see, I can't even really describe it. It's a little different. Um, and I believe one of these little flange wing things here is what actually was broken off and they ended up repairing for, uh, for the museum. So yeah, that's the schist discs kind of measurements here. Now this guy, this guy is Walter Brian Emery, and he's one of the most famous archaeologists um, or Egyptologists of his time, which is around the 20th century. And on January 10th of 1936, at the plateau edge of North Saqqara, approximately 1.7 kilometers north of Zoser's Step Pyramid, Emery excavated not only the tomb of Prince Sabu, but also the amazing schist disc, along with some other ceremonial or supposed ceremonial objects within the tomb. Now, Saqqara is one of the oldest and largest ne necropolises uh, from ancient Egypt. And necropolis is, for those who don't know, it's basically a place for dead people. <laughs> you know, this is where, Saqqara is where they were putting all these famous, I guess, um, well-known and royal bodies. So everything from, uh, you know, princes and uh, everything in between. I'm not going to get super into it, but uh, well-known political figures would be buried in this particular area. Uh, so Sabu is not the only character who is, who is buried here. There's many other uh, noblemen who are buried in the um, surrounding areas. So yeah, it's one of the, Saqqara is one of the oldest, if not the oldest and largest necropolises in ancient Egypt. And Emery devoted his entire career to excavating the Nile River Valley. And primarily that was done between 1935 and 1939. And like I said, in January of 1936 is when the uh, tomb of Sabu and the schist disc were, among the other things in the tomb, were brought to light. Now, dating back to around 3000 to 3100 BC, just like that fancy little plaque said, uh, it's referred simply to as the schist disc or the disc of Sabu. And it's been described as, here we go, guys, this is what Egyptologists are trying to say the schist disc is. This is the funniest part. Egyptologists describe this as being a fruit plate, flower vase, or even a candle holder or for mixing paints. Now let's just pause right here. Does this, those who are listening, just listening and not watching the YouTube version, please go look at a picture of the schist disc, literally anywhere, just look at a picture. Does this look like a fruit plate? Does this look like an efficient place to put your goddamn fruit? <laughs> that's literally what Egyptologists are trying to say is that this is a good place to put your fruit. You want a place to put your strawberries? Go ahead and put your strawberries in there and go ahead and try to fish your the strawberry out of that little wing there. It wouldn't be a very good idea. Or why don't you try sticking your candle in the middle there? Please tell me. I mean, a candle, I guess, but the thing is, is that there's no bottom to the hole in the center. So the candle would just fall through or you'd have to use your hand to stop it. Uh, you, to stop the candle from falling through the hole in the center. Um, it doesn't make sense to me for it to be like that. Or for mixing paints, for example. Yeah, you could put paint in there. Now what? 
you know, how, how do you mix paint in that? And that's the thing, guys, is that Egyptologists are saying, oh, yeah, it's for this. You know, they used it for this and this and this. That's got to be what it's for. But the thing is, is that they have no evidence of it. They have nothing. There is no other schist disc to look at that's full of fruit or paint. There's no remnants of paint on this thing. It's just schist rock. So why, why would they equivalate that? I just don't see. I can understand where they're seeing it kind of looks like a plate or something that you would carry around because of the little handle type shapes on it. But the hole in the middle totally throws it off. It looks like it's supposed to be stuck onto something and twist, you know, like on a lathe, for example. So I would be more willing to accept that this was used maybe for like pottery or something. Um, although nobody's saying that this was used for pottery, but I'd be willing to accept that more likely than it being used to put your fruit in or put your paint in. That's just absurd to me. But anyways, Let's kind of get back to it. Yeah, as I was saying, this thing is in a, a small cabinet in the back of the Cairo Museum. Right here, we're looking at a picture of Brian Forrester, the wonderful Brian Forrester, who was on episode two of my podcast, which if you haven't yet, go check that out on, uh, that's actually on YouTube now. So I really appreciate it. If you guys went and took a listen to it on YouTube, gave me a couple more views on that video there, because uh, I have a ton of listens of it on the audio format. But I'd love if you guys went and checked it out on YouTube because I actually have pictures and I took the time to kind of edit some things in there so that you actually have something to look at while you're actually listening to the podcast. Since this was before I had video, so unfortunately you don't get to see Brian's beautiful face during the, well, live face during the podcast, but you can at least look at pictures of him. Anyways, this is the wonderful Brian Forrester standing in front of the schist disc and he frequents the schist disc whenever he's in Cairo or in Egypt to usually stops by and, you know, he'll usually film a short video on the schist disc, like, hey, still sitting here in the back, it still has this stupid plate on it, <laughs> that's saying it's a fruit plate, someone help, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting, because you look at this thing, and it has a hole in the middle of it, I mean, it's, it looks like it's supposed to be stuck onto something, if I'm being, I mean, anyone else who has seen, like, a wheel, or a uh, ship wheel, or anything like that, you know what I'm talking about, and people like Graham Hancock, Brian Forrester, for example, John Anthony West, rest his soul, Robert Schock, and among many other people who have, uh, independent researchers who have looked at the schist disc, they're all enthralled by this thing. They're all taken aback. They have no idea what this thing is because Egyptologists are giving a crappy explanation for it. They're saying it is what it is, but they're not demonstrating why that is the case. Why do you think it's a fruit cake or a fruit plate? What makes you say that besides just blind assumptions? I don't know, guys. It just seems disingenuous to me. But I do got to say the schist disc thing is weird. Hence why we're here today talking about it. This strapping young man here, this is Yusuf Abiyan. And he's the co-director of the Kemet School of Ancient Mysticism in Egypt and has worked extensively with the big names that I just named, such as Brian Forrester, Graham Hancock, uh, Robert Schock, John Anthony West, literally all those guys, Randall Carlson, he's worked with all of them. And I really like uh, Yusuf because he, he likes to stay pretty unbiased in a lot of his opinions. So he, he does come from a very 
skeptical point of view a lot of the times. So He'll usually come in, oh, you know, I think it could be this, but it also could have been this maybe. So he kind of goes through, he's not very set in stone on a lot of things. And I like that. He's a, he's a theoretical kind of guy. He goes once again where the evidence leads him. And here's the wonderful Yusuf with Brian Forrester at Cusco, actually. So yeah, that's another episode I'd like to do in the future is, is this wonderful Cusco in the background. But yeah, this is just a show that Yusuf, uh, he's very prevalent in the ancient lost technology world. You can follow him on Facebook. He's always posting all types of videos and everything on there. And the reason why I bring up Yusuf specifically is because I really want to talk a little bit about his dad. I'm going to zoom in a little bit here. So for those who are not watching, we're looking at a picture of Yusuf's father, Abdel Hakim Awyan. He unfortunately passed away in 2008, rest his soul. And he actually claims, according to Yusuf, he had claimed to have done experiments on the schist disc. Him and his team actually did. Um, since it kind of looked like this thing came from a machine, they figured they would hook this thing up to something that would rotate it and actually you know, spin it. Let's see what's going to happen if we put this thing on a lathe like it looks like it's supposed to be on and make it spin. So um, now I do have to preface, this is all from hearsay. I'm going to get a little bit more into it, but this is all um, anecdotal, if I'm going to be completely honest. Now, this infinity symbol here. Now, what happened is um, Yusuf's father, I'm just going to call him Yusuf's father because his, his name is a little hard for me to pronounce. So I'm just going to call him Yusuf's father or Yusuf's dad. So, or Yusuf senior, <laughs> but they supposedly 3D printed or something equivalent to in the early mid 2000s, they essentially 3D printed a schist disc. And what they did is they stuck this thing onto a machine and they made it spin and they were throwing sound frequencies directly at the schist disc from above or beside. Once again, this is all hearsay, so there's not a ton of exact details on it. Basically, it was forming this infinity symbol. So if you guys think of like a figure eight or a racetrack like NASCAR, you know, it's like, uh, well, not like NASCAR, because NASCAR is just right turn, you know, they're just right turn, right turn. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were throwing sound frequencies at the disc. And it was making this infinity symbol of like energy field that basically formed in front of it. And what happened is it supposedly was causing this anti-gravity stuff to go on. So they were, they were throwing these sound frequencies at the schist disc. It was then forming this infinity symbol. And when they would throw like rocks or water or other objects into the frequency zone, I guess you could say, it was making this stuff levitate or, or stay in the air for a longer period of time than it definitely should have, or just straight up, just anti-gravity. Now, this is, uh, once again, this is all by claims. I really tried to look this up because I, tr I wanted to, I, I originally heard of this test through, I believe it was Johanna James, uh, Johanna James's episode on the shift to disc, which if you haven't yet, go check that out. She has a lot of good information on it. And it's a good preface onto this pack, uh, this podcast. But yeah, she mentions that test. The only thing is, is that one, I could not find the official results for this test anywhere. 
I couldn't find his team members that he was doing this test that he claims he did this test with. I couldn't find anybody doing this, repeating this test and doing it again. I couldn't find it. It just was all hearsay. It was all people. It wasn't even Yusuf saying that his father did this. It was people saying that Yusuf said this. So if someone could find me some footage of Yusuf actually claiming that claiming that there was anti-gravity from the schist disc, please send it my way because I'd love to take a look at it and uh, you know clear this up a little bit. But I couldn't find anything for the life of me. I really did look for it. So like I was saying before, Yusuf is usually a pretty unbiased source. He tends to come off very, um, you know, in the middle. He, he likes to kind of stay in the middle. He doesn't like to give any definitive answers. And that's why I like him. But this is a weird thing. So I, anti-gravity, I mean, that's pretty woo-woo for me. And that would be something I would want to repeat. You know, if I was Yusuf himself, and I heard that my father was doing this, I would damn near be spending my whole life trying to 3D print the schist disc or stealing the damn schist disc myself and doing the test again. You know, why hasn't anyone done this test again? That seems like it's a very important test. Um, and then my next thing is before I, I get into the, um, the next kind of part is, this is just rock, guys. Schist is a, a very thin type of rock. It's very fragile and easy to break. And uh, it's it, it doesn't seem, it's just rock. You know, that's the same thing as if we made the schist disc, we made the granite disc. You know, we made, we made like this exact shape, measurements and everything, but out of granite and we spun it would that cause these sound frequencies that were supposed to be coming from it? I need to know more. I need some more testing on this schist disc. So I'm not saying that I believe it. Um, there needs to be a lot more testing done before we go passing around that information as fact. Um, now, I wanted to get into this. So before I even get into this, actually, let me back up one picture. So we're looking at this picture, this artistic depiction of the schist disc again. And I did come across some debunkers that were actually saying the schist disc, they were saying, oh, you know, uh, Brian Forrester and other people are saying that the schist disc is completely symmetrical. False. Stop right there. That's when I stopped listening. Because nowhere, at least that what I could find, Nowhere was Brian Forrester or anyone else saying that the schist disc is symmetrical. Nobody. Now, it does have, I believe, a pretty um, symmetrical dimension, like actual dimension on the outside. I'm not a math guy, you guys. Okay, so you got to bear with me. I do think that actually um, this far right handle, for those who are watching, this far right handle, I believe, sticks out just a tad further. So, there are inconsistencies is what I'm saying. It's very obvious when you look at it, both artistically and the actual object is not symmetrical. So saying it's symmetrical is disingenuous because nobody is saying that. Now, you know, once, once a straw man is built, that's when I stop listening, guys. Once you start saying, oh, everybody says that this thing is symmetrical, that's when I'm gonna stop listening to what you have to say. Um, if you're not gonna be genuine about what you're saying, then I don't wanna listen to it. So, um, some debunkers, though, 
this is an interesting theory. Some debunkers say that this could actually, the schist disc could have been used as a rope wench and, or I'm sorry, a rope wrench. And when I saw some videos of people trying to justify the purpose of this uh, is to wind silk into rope and other materials, I mean, it sounds pretty good. The only issue is that once again, there is no demonstrations of it. They're saying, and let me just pause for a second. So guys, what we're looking at here on the screen, this is actually a, um, uh, this is actually Chinese uh, silk winder. Essentially, they would use this to help wind silk uh, in China. And we're going to get into why I'm bringing up China here. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it's very interesting. Sorry, I'm kind of tripping over myself because um, it's just such a weird object. Now, the case for this thing being used for silk, uh, it makes the most sense to me because when you look at this thing here, for those of you who are watching, um, this thing that we're looking at, uh, this is actually called a, uh, it's, it, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I was going to say what it's called because quite honestly, I couldn't find what the name of this thing is. I couldn't even find what this is. I know that what they would do is that for those who are listening, it looks like a bullet or a mushroom. Um, it's kind of, you know, got a mushroom top and it's got like these little striations in it where the silk rope will go through and they would spin it and it would turn into, you know, whatever they want it to do. Um, and I actually pulled this screenshot from another video on the schist disc from a debunker actually. And he wasn't doing a very good job on debunking it, if I'm being completely honest. So yeah, um, it's, it's, it, I'm getting a little far ahead of self, far ahead of myself on the pictures, but yeah, a brief history on silk actually is, this is the most interesting part. This is kind of why I'm not sure about the function of the schist disc being to make silk. Um, now, a brief history on silk. The oldest silk found is in China and it's been dated to around 3630 BC which means that, okay, so this comes from the Chinese Neolithic period. Now, interesting is that silk was not prevalent in Egyptian history until around 1000 BC. So we have 2,600 years of missing time there. The schist disc was 3100 to 3000 BC and silk didn't show up in Egypt until 1000 BC. So that means that the schist disc is older than when silk was prevalent and used normal, you know, um, culturally in Egypt. It was used 2000 years after the schist disc was built. So if that's the case, then that's not why the schist disc was made. If the schist disc is older than when silk was in Egypt, uh, not to mention, okay, so, so what debunkers are trying to say how the schist disc essentially made silk rope or silk in general, is they would put it through the little handles that you see here and they'd stick it on a lathe and they'd spin it and it would, you know, twine up the rope, which sounds pretty reasonable. But then you look at the depiction of it from above. And the thing is, is if the middle of it is where the, you know, wood um, spinner would go, is in the middle to spin this thing, then where would the silk go? The silk can't go anywhere. If you're feeding it through these little holes on the side, it can't go anywhere. So the whole silk argument doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But 
I feel like it's it's a reasonable argument. Although I I'm once again nobody is demonstrating it. I feel like it'd be pretty easy to 3D print the schist disk, or at least for these researchers, it would be for a normal person. It may be tricky, but they could just make another schist disk and try this again. But the problem is that they're not. They're just passing it off as this was done for silk. And that's it. And then that would bring me to the next question of why would this thing be put in a prince's tomb? If this was used just to make silk? I mean, was Sabu that obsessed with silk that he wasn't wearing? Very weird. I don't know. Very weird to me. What do you guys think? Next, we're going to get on to what some other debunkers are saying. This is like the go-to for debunkers on the ancient lost high technology argument is geopolymers. And I'm going to read the dictionary, well, the, the Wikipedia description here of geopolymers and what exactly they are. I'm going to read this whole thing here. Geopolymers are inorganic, typically ceramic, aluminosilicate forming long-range, covalently bonded, non-crystalline networks. Raw materials used in synthesis of silicone-based polymers are mainly rock-forming minerals of geological origin, hence the name geopolymer. Now that I got straight from the Wikipedia. Um, so essentially geopolymers are concrete. If you wanna be blunt with it, it's basically concrete. They would break down other rocks into like smaller particles to where they could essentially make like a cement of some sort and they pour it into a mold and then they'd let it harden and then they pop it out of the mold. So like brick mortar or cement or literally anything of that matter is what a lot of debunkers are trying to say that this schist disc was made from a geopolymer and that's how they made it because that's that's kind of what i'm getting at is this thing is made out of schist okay schist is a very fragile rock and the way that the wings are on the top of it how thin they are and the handles on the outside so thin to where i can't believe that it, it didn't just break upon making the object. It seems like it was actually made inside the tomb is what a lot of these Egyptologists included uh, believe is that the schist disc was made inside the tomb of Sabu. If it was made in there and just set in there, why, why, why would they leave it in there all broken up? They leave this broken fruit plate in a prince's tomb? Sounds like a terrible idea and a good way to, a good way to you know, get some, get some bad characters after you <laughs> in the afterlife or something, whatever they believe. But yeah, so geopolymers, I don't see how a geopolymer would make sense for the making of the schist disc. But that's the thing is that a lot of debunkers are saying that that is how it was done. No way. And right here, we're looking at the site Oyete Tambo in Peru. And I'm so glad I actually got that name on the first try. It's a little tricky to say, a lot of L's, Y's, and stuff in there. Oye te tamo. It's fun to say. I definitely practiced that, by the way. Yeah, so Oye te tamo is a big enigma here. And just to kind of branch off for a second for the geopolymer's sake, a lot of debunkers say that geopolymers is the reason that we have these interesting shapes at Oye Te Tambo and among many other sites, such as like the pyramids in Egypt. A lot of debunkers say that they just did geopolymers for the blocks in Egypt, and that makes no sense. Nobody is saying that except the debunkers. Very, it's, it's not a very good argument. But 
And uh, you look at these interesting shapes at Oye Tambo, and you, you, I would love, once again, they cannot replicate this. They are just saying that this is how it was done and that's that, but they're not demonstrating it. I need demonstration, guys. If you're going to say that's how it was done, I need you to demonstrate it. Sure, if you say that the pyramid was built with geopolymers, great. Build a pyramid with, you know, three and a half million blocks and uh, do it in less than 20 years and uh, make it all out of geopolymers. The problem is we can't do it. Um, and that's where the, the, the confusion is. Anyways, this is Oyete Tambo. And you can even see these interesting little notches here who are watching on YouTube. How would they do this in a mold? Uh, let alone just the ridiculous shapes of the rocks here. So anyways, geopolymers is literally the go-to argument for a lot of debunkers on people who are going after Grant Hancock and other researchers. But geopolymers, yes, it works for a couple things. Uh, there's a couple sites that it, it may make sense for, but Oyete Tambo and the schist disc, no way, no way. Not until you can demonstrate it at least. Go ahead and demonstrate it, and then we can talk about it. And where I'm going to kind of end it here is I'm going to link this whole YouTube video in the description of the podcast. But this I actually found on YouTube, and it, it, I'm surprised that nobody is talking about this more. I found very, very, very little on this, and even on this YouTube video in particular, they don't say a lot about it. Anyways, what I'm talking about is there's a YouTube video of this guy who I don't know if he like 3D printed the, the schist disc or like made another one from hand or something, but he basically has a schist disc shape object with the hole in the middle and everything. And he has like this polygon object in the middle of it. And it's sitting in a small pool and it's sunk all the way to the bottom. Now, when this guy sticks his hand in the water and he spins this thing, um, so it's spinning vertically. It eventually rises to the top of the water and actually starts spinning on the water. It kind of like a lotus. It looks almost like a lotus flower or something. But it spins like that. And as long as it's spinning, it will stay suspended above the water. Um, now, there's been some speculation from what I can see in like comment sections and other people's side videos that this could have been used for a propeller, maybe. Maybe they were putting it on boats and not vertically pushing the water up so that it floats on the surface of the water, but it's sideways so that it's actually twisting forward. But then that would require the work of some sort of mechanism that would make it twist. And then why wouldn't we find more of these in the uh, Egyptian record. You know, why wouldn't we find more schist discs at the bottom of the uh, Nile River or um, any other small uh, water channels? Why wouldn't we find more of these? That's the thing is that there's only been one schist disc that has been found. If that's the case, and being it such a fragile material, they would be replacing these things all the time. I mean, just a small nick from a hippo or something, or even just a good-sized rock would shatter this thing. So, a propeller, it's an interesting theory. And yes, it would indeed propel it to an extent, but it doesn't seem reasonable. And it's, it seems like a bad design for some sort of boat propeller. Um, 
So I don't know, that's that's kind of a, a side theory. I couldn't find a ton on this besides this YouTube video. And I don't even think there's a ton on the actual YouTube video. It literally just says this Egyptian schist disc research tonic R&D and they spin it underwater and that's it. And it like rises to the top. And once they stop spinning, it sinks to the bottom. And that's it. There's no words in the video, but I'll link it in the description of the podcast that you guys can watch it yourself. But um, yeah, guys, that's pretty much everything that I have to share as far as the schist disc goes. I feel like I covered pretty much everything in it. Uh, everything that I could at least find on the schist disc. If you're able to find more information on it, or maybe I missed something, please feel free to send it my way and I'll be happy to mention it in the next podcast. Or maybe I can have you on and we can have a discussion about the podcast. Maybe we can get together and 3D print the schist disc and just get this anti-gravity testing thing out of the way. But with that, guys, that's pretty much the whole episode. That's everything that I could find on the schist disc. So what are your thoughts? What do you think that the schist disc is? Do you think that it could be some sort of water propeller so that boats could travel more easily through the Nile River? Do you think that it was a fruit plate? Do you think that it's easy to mix paints in that thing? Or do you think that it was used as some sort of levitation or anti-gravity uh, technology to where they, that's how they built the pyramids is they were just levitating these blocks with this schist disc or whatever machine the schist disc was a part of. I don't know, guys, it sounds pretty woo-woo, but honestly, it sounds no more woo-woo than saying that this thing is just a fruit plate or, a, or to hold your lotus flowers in. It makes no sense to me. And that's another thing is that people are like, oh, it, it's used to hold lotus flowers. Well, if that were the case, they would put lotus flowers in it when they put it in Sabu's tomb, which guess what? There were no lotus flowers in the schist disc. So it makes no sense. The schist disc was, I mean, it's, it's an enigma. It's a one of a kind. We have no idea. Sabu didn't mention it anywhere. Um, his father, uh, Nejiba, didn't mention it. Den didn't mention it. Nothing. None of these pharaohs or princes mentioned it. So what the hell could the function of it be? You guys let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, do you think that it's part of ancient lost high technology? Or do you think that it's just a fruit plate? Let me know. Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram at Unquestionable Podcast. You can find me on Facebook unquestionable with calvin smith i'm on youtube unquestionable podcast i'm on twitter at uwcs podcast i'm working on starting some sort of tiktok or something but i'm not 100 percent sure how i want to do it whether i want to do it with the podcast or if i want to do it just with my music stuff which speaking of which if you haven't checked out my music yet guys actually my original song empty room is available on all streaming platforms so if you find me on Spotify. You can actually find my song, Empty Room. And please feel free to give it a listen, give it a share. Um, yeah, and hopefully I have some more music coming out in the near future. I'm actually in talks with a couple other musicians who are interested in collaborating with me. So I feel like it's, uh, it's gonna be a good year this year or next year, I guess, will be a good year for me as far as music goes. But with that guys, I'm gonna tune, I'm gonna leave you guys today with those thoughts on the Schist Disc. I hope that you enjoyed. Once again, I really do appreciate you guys listening wherever you're listening, whether it be YouTube or a streaming platform. I really do appreciate it. Please make sure to share it with your friends and family. Make sure to give me a subscribe on YouTube, a like, hit the bell so that you get notified anytime a new episode drops. And remember me to follow me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Anchor, and everywhere else. With that, guys, 
Thank you so much for listening today. And remember, question everything. See you later, guys.